Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. So we think about our 75th year. We think about celebrating what God has done. And we think about being committed to what God is going to do. And all of that revolves around the core reasons that we exist. We discover the core reasons that that early church existed in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Let's read this verse together, please. We'll start with the reference, then we'll read the verse, and then we will finish with the reference. Are you ready? Here we go. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. There we discover the four core values of the early church. The first core value was that they were committed to the word of God, the apostles' teaching. And as we have studied that, we have discovered that the outcome of being committed to the word of God, the foundational truth that God has given to us, is an awesome thing. The scripture tells us that all of them were in awe as they Watch the revelation being worked out in the lives of these believers. You want to live an awesome life, be committed to the Word of God. That will make a difference in your life. They were, other, they were also others-focused. They determined that our relationships together was important. Because they talk about the family, the fellowship, the body of believers. And it is so important that we recognize that God has called us together for a purpose. He has called us so that we might exhibit what it means to be a family together under the authority of God. And in that we can have authentic relationships. And God has given to us a way to live out truth in an authentic relationship, and that is the fellowship, the family, which we have all been called to. This morning we're going to look at the third core value. It's discovered here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Not only the apostles' teaching, not only to the fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. Now, that word that is translated breaking of bread is a noun. It has to do with a person, place, or thing. And that noun reminds us of what brought them together, and that was the authority of Jesus Christ. That noun is also used in Luke's gospel. Jesus, after the resurrection, met a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus. And he walked with them. And as they were discussing all of the events that had taken place in Jerusalem, the crucifixion of Christ between the thieves, the fact that the disciples went to the cemetery, to the tomb, and found out that he was not there, and then remembered that he'd risen, as he said, as Jesus walked with them, their eyes were blinded, and they did not know who he was. Well, he sat down with them, and the text says he sat down with them to break bread. That's the other place that it's used as a noun. And their eyes were opened, and they discovered exactly 
what God had done as his son came alive in their lives. That's remembering what God has done. This morning, we are going to remember corporately. We are going to remember the given body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that that brings us together under the authority of God to recognize his work in our lives. And we do that corporately. But not only should we do that corporately, we should also do that personally. Understanding the work of God in our lives through the given body and shed blood. That's our personal testimony. That's an understanding of how we can have a relationship with God by trusting Jesus Christ as personal Savior because Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the Scriptures. I want you to think of your personal testimony this morning, will you please? I want you to think about when you came to Christ, when you trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, when you determined that you wanted to be part of the family of God. Now, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I've never done that. Well, you can. It's not a hard thing to do. The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead, we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now it's unique in each of our lives. Brent Fast. Brent, come up here, will you please? I've asked a couple of guys to very quickly, very quickly, very quickly to share with us their testimony, how they came to know Christ. As personal savior, Brent. Thank you. June of 1974, I was 16 years old, able to date, interested in a young lady. She was able to date. I got the impression she was interested. I asked her for a date. She said, well, I'm interested, but I'm a Christian, and I made a commitment that I would only date other followers of Christ. Are you a Christian? And I didn't know. I didn't know who Jesus was. I was a believer in God, but was not a Christian. So she led me to the Lord, and I got a date. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a couple years later, I was in college and went to uh, a Larnell Harris concert, and uh, recommitted my life to Christ at that time. Uh, the Holy Spirit convicted me and became real at that time. Boy, what an incentive, Brent. We could, we could start a motto, Jesus and date. <laughs> now, now, I need to know, Brent, is that young lady still part of your life? No, she's not. Is Jesus still part of your life? Amen, huh? Jesus is what lasts. Aaron Heisel. Come up here, will you please? Share with us your personal testimony, briefly. <laughs> if you've been under any of <laughs> Aaron's teaching. <laughs> All right, Tom gave me 120 seconds or two minutes. 
Um, if all of us, I think, have a, a story, maybe not as great as Brent's, um, although I did lead my, my wife to Christ, um, but uh, all of us have a story or a journey that led us up to what, uh, how we came to Christ, how we came to know about him. 120 seconds probably won't do it of my journey of where I become, but I think that the biggest thing that we have to understand from salvation is salvation is repentance. Amen. Salvation is having a change of heart, realizing that the way I'm going in my life is not going to be productive, um, and ultimately deciding that the way I'm going in my life needs to have a change. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, um, grew up in the church, grew up in a church probably just like this, um, maybe a little legalistic, and as you've probably heard me say many times that, and as Tom talked about a few weeks ago, which I appreciated living above the truth line. I kind of grew up in one of those cultures, and um, so I grew up hearing the right stories and saying the right words and making a profession of faith, uh, but it was probably when I was, I think it was 18, right, 18, yeah, 18-ish, and um, decided to repent and turn and make a decision that I was going to commit my life to Christ, um, and since then, that's been my objective, is to make sure that I live my life for Christ. Um, but it all starts with repentance. We can easily say the words, and I think to many of us who grew up in the church, that's what we do. Uh, we get the hell scared out of us. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. We're afraid, I don't want to go to this bad place. Uh, but really, salvation, as we know, is more than that. It's about turning my life around. Uh, Jesus even says in Luke, which I think is... put a password on my iPad to keep my kids out. So. <laughs> and I have to get myself back in. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's all about salvation, and that's my 120-second story. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. Did you note that in each of these testimonies, there was a point in time when they recognized, as Aaron said, they were sinners, and they trusted Christ as personal Savior. Now, each of them had a little different incentive. Brent had an incentive as a young lady who impacted his life. May I stop right there and ask whose life you're impacting for the cause of Christ? Keep that question in the back of your head. We'll ask it again later. Aaron grew up in the church, heard the stories, understood his need of salvation. And even though he had trusted Christ as personal Savior, he came to a place in his life where he understood that as a new creature in Christ, old things should be passing away, all things should be becoming new, and that's the repentance that you're talking about. And why is that so important? It's important because of what God has done for us through his son. As his son came to give his body. As his son came to shed his blood. The early church's core value was that they gathered together to remember what God had done in their lives. I trust that as we gather together, 
we gather to celebrate what God has done in our lives. Amen? And we never take for granted the fact that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life, and you and I have life, and we have it more abundantly than anybody else in this world. Because it is new life in Christ Jesus. Amen? And that needs to be lived out in our lives. Core value. Breaking of bread. Remembering what God has done in our lives. But there's another component to the breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For as often as ye eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. You see, it's not only remembering, it's also reaching. Reaching out and understanding the assignment that God has given to us. Now, how did they do that? Turn back to Acts chapter 2, will you please? Acts chapter 2. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, if I had been the one who was putting verses and chapters in, I would have ended the 46th verse with having favor with all the people. And I started 47, and the Lord added to the church. Okay. How did they reach out? Well, the first thing they did, they went to temple. They assembled together for worship. They were God-focused. There was an upreach to their lives where they recognized that every part of their lives was to be lived to the honor and glory of their God. And as they went to temple, they understood that God was the one who deserved the glory. God was the one who deserved the honor. And God was the one that they would be accountable to one day. They were God-focused in their lives. We live in a culture that doesn't have much focus of God, don't we? Biblical illiteracy is rampant in our culture. You talk to people today about Christmas and Easter and the only thing they remember is Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And do not know that Christmas tells us that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Do not know that Easter reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Folks, if you and I are not God-focused in our lives, we can't expect our culture to pick up anything from our lives. Because they don't care that we get together for an hour on Sunday morning or two hours on Sunday morning. In fact, they would say that this is a waste of time. And if this is the only time that we gather together to be God-focused, 
then it'll never get out into the world. And what did we do? We just proclaimed what God has done, and we're to do that until he comes again to take us home. This is a lifelong assignment. But not only were they God-focused, they also had glad and generous hearts. Did you notice that? They met in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with gladness and gentleness and generous hearts in their life. You know, there is nothing better than to be around Christians because they are the most giving people that there ever could be. You know why that is? That's because they have been given so much. First John tells us that we love God because he first loved us. And it's the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. You and I ought to be the most polite people that ever live. We ought to be the most generous people that ever live. We ought to be the happiest people that ever lived. Because we're going to heaven, amen? Doesn't get any better than that. Now, I'm not looking to go there today. Unless God sends his son Jesus Christ to take me home, and I'm okay with that. Because where he is is far, far better than where I am. And a glad and generous heart ought to flow from... You know there are joy suckers in this world. Have you ever met any? I mean, you just walk around and... There are people that have absolutely nothing good to say about absolutely everything. Did you hear what I said? There are people that have absolutely nothing good to say about absolutely everything. And yet, those of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior ought to have everything good to say about absolutely everything because it's God who works in us and through us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen? And what so separates us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus? Read Romans 8 this afternoon, will you please? There is absolutely nothing that will separate us from the love of God because it's found in Christ Jesus. And you and I who know Christ through his given body and shed blood can be confident that all things will work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's why we can say God is good. And all the time. And put an explanation point at the end of that. Glad and generous hearts. Let me tell you something. Some of the most generous people are people from this body of believers. Are you one of them? Are you a joy giver or a joy sucker? You're one or the other. You can't be neutral on Glad and generous hearts. They also had goodness and growth. Note verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. You remember how Jesus is identified in Luke chapter 2? And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. In favor with God and favor with man. 
our reaching those around us needs to be seen because of the goodness God has given to us as he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And the growth that took place in their lives was seen by all of the people. Now this was personal growth as well as corporate growth. And the people recognized what God was doing in a very special way. We are celebrating our 75th anniversary. And as we look at that, we recognize that remembering and reaching the breaking of bread are a core value to us. And that means that we have an active faith. We've talked about an awesome faith, the apostles' teaching. We've talked about an authentic faith, the fellowship. And we ought to have an active faith as we break our bread, as we remember what God has done, and as we reach to a world that doesn't have a clue. That's the responsibility you and I have. I asked you to tuck something in the back of your mind. You remember that? And that was this. Who are you influencing for the gospel of Christ? Penn Gillette is a magician. He's part of the Penn and Teller team. You perhaps have heard of them. And Penn tells about a guy who's about his age that went to one of his shows and participated as an audience member. The man stood by as Gillette left the building. And he approached Gillette and he complimented him on the show and then he said, I brought this for you. The man held up a small book. It was New Testament and Psalms. I wrote in the front of it, the man said, and I wanted you to have it. The man explained that he was a businessman and he wasn't crazy. Gillette, moved by this man's gesture, recalls, he was kind, nice, and sane, and looked me in the eyes, and talked to me, and then gave me this Bible, and he held it up. Penn Gillette was touched by that. Now, he's an atheist. He does not believe that there is a God. There are some who have rumored that he accepted Christ as personal Savior, but from what I've been able to discover, I don't think so. But I have a 60-second clip that he tells us something very, very profound. Kathy, can we play that now at this time, please? I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that... Uh, well, it's not really worth 
telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. It's pretty profound for an atheist, isn't it? How much do you have to hate somebody if you really believe it? If you really believe in the given body, if you really believe in the shed blood, if you really believe that trusting Jesus Christ is essential to everlasting life, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? Socially awkward at times. Difficult. The early church prayed for boldness that they would be able to do just that. But if you and I saw a truck coming toward another individual, a stranger, someone you don't know, how much responsibility do you have to do whatever is within your power to save them from that truck? We have people who are daily going into eternity without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who've never been told. For as often as you eat the bread, for as often as you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Oh, we did it corporately this morning. But do we not have the responsibility to do it personally? That's one of our core values, folks. And it's real easy for us to sit in the comfort of this place, saying God is good all the time, celebrating the goodness of God, worshiping the wonder of our God, and not take it outside these walls. And never let anybody know. I've just been given a, a book. The title of the book is Mission Drift. And as I have just started to read the book, it reminds us of how easy it is to slip away from the assignment that we first held so precious. Remember when you were first saved? Remember how you wanted to tell people that you'd gotten saved? Remember how exciting that was? Do you have mission drift in your life? Have you moved away from that? How much you got to hate somebody not to tell them? To let them get run over by a truck? Or more than that, to let them go to a Christless eternity that the Bible calls 
remembering is good. But how important is it? 